Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for coming back to Talking Time Lords. Uh, this is Jason. I'm just doing a bit of a cold open here for the show to sort of explain what's been going on. Um, Paul and I have unexpectedly had a lot of real-life situations coming up that have um, interfered with our ability to record this podcast regularly. Um with me, it's been work situations. With Paul, it's been family situations. Things should start calming down here in the near future for us. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to get back to a more regularly scheduled uh, release schedule with these uh, episodes. But um, I just want to give you a little bit of a heads up. This episode uh, was actually recorded back in February. It's been almost a month uh, since we recorded the episode you're about to listen to. Uh, so some of the new stuff is going to be a little bit old, uh, but we are also going to be, re- as of the time of this episode being released, we will have just recorded, or are just about to record, depending on how soon I get this uploaded, um, another episode. So we should have at least two more episodes coming out before the uh, premiere of Series 10 on uh, BBC for Doctor Who, which we're all very excited about. Um uh, so we've got at least two in the works, and uh, we'll keep you updated on those as well. So our apologies for being a bit distant and a bit quiet this past month. Uh, we're working very hard on getting back to a more regularly scheduled uh, release schedule, uh, recording schedule. So uh, we we should be on the tail end of, of some <laughs> rather hectic business um, in each of our own personal lives. So, uh, thank you for being understanding. Thank you for listening to our show. Um, and for those of you who have waited all this time and aren't just joining us, uh, here now, uh, we really do appreciate the fact that you've stuck around and have, uh, been patient with us. So without any further ado, I'm going to kick it right back into the show here. So, uh, enjoy. You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 63, The Day I am as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Would you care for some tea? We've no idea what happened to Miss Grant and the Captain. The Doctor should be back here by now. I can't get through the Brigadier and you're nattering on about tea! The Doctor will come... Or else he won't, and that's all that can be said. Well, fine then. Guess we just end it. Later, guys. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. I've learned and actually... <laughs> no, 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 we're, we're not going to do that to you. I know, it's been a while since we've got our last episode out, and it'll probably be a little bit before this one hits the feed, too. Uh, real life is um, mixing things up for both of us at the moment, so... 
<laughs> Bear with us. These things do happen. Yes, they do. How's it going, Paul? <laughs> it's been an adventure for mm. the last month. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I'm, changing, I'm changing shifts at work. You know, you've got a whole other person coming back home and everything. It's just a yeah. huge, <laughs> huge things happening for both yeah. of us. And it's, 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 uh, event little... planning, you know. <laughs> right. And then, of course, there's always the unexpected things that happen, you know. Yeah, like and losing it's... half of an episode and having to start over. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least yeah. we got it. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're we're gonna uh, continue on our master story reviews here in this episode, talking about the daemons. But this will be our last one before we take a short break. We're gonna do some other like one-off episodes, and then we'll come back to the master. We wouldn't want you to get bored, exactly. Uh, but of course, <laughs> before we get into uh, the episode proper, let's go ahead and talk about some news. <laughs> And of course, you know, one of the big news things that happened since the last time we recorded that everyone probably already knows is the fact that Missy is coming back to Series 10 of Doctor Who. She's bananas! (laughs) Bananas! We saw her painting a TARDIS in her uh, video where she was talking about coming back. With some really tall hair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She's working on painting her TARDIS, is I believe what she said. Mm. Uh, and, uh, something like that. She's uh, <laughs> she's bananas, and I don't know how much to trust her. So yeah, uh, you, you know, excited to get Missy back? Yeah, we you know we were talking about last episode about uh, the possibility of something carrying over, um, you know, with the um, the change of the Doctor once again, you know, mm-hmm. and. What do you think? Do you think they'll keep Missy around for the next Doctor's incarnation, or do you think they'll have her change? Oh, uh, again. Uh, oh. that's a good question. I can make a better guess after we see the episode she's in this time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, she, I would like she, to see that. You know, she's um, she's the Michelle Gomez is popular enough as the character. The character itself is popular right now. Um, so I, I suspect she'll carry over for at least one or two episodes with the uh, the new Doctor um, before they regenerate. I would like seeing, you know. Yeah. I mean, you think about how uh, the uh, what was it? The second known incarnation, or was it the third uh, known incarnation of the Master carried over for multiple Doctors? Oh yes, um, you know? Anthony Ainley. Yes, you know he carried over for the fourth, fifth. Sixth and seventh, correct? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, why not do that again? Why not have her, you know, reprise that role as long as she wants to do it? I, I'd be okay with that. I think you know, there's <laughs> there comes a time where you need to regenerate the character, right? Right. But for right now, I I feel like you know, series eleven, Missy is safe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've got a feeling that, that she'll probably stick around for at least one more series. We'll find out when we see her in this next series, though, for sure. Right. It'd be kind of interesting if if they re, you know regenerated her this series, you know? Right. <laughs> that would be very odd, very interesting. Uh, but looking looking far afield uh, towards series eleven, yeah. um, you had a little bit of news that, that you found. This is not 100% confirmed, um, but it is uh, sourced from the BBC. Um, we just don't know how official it is right now. Uh, basically, there's multiple sources that are saying from the BBC that Series 11 will not happen, or it will, at least will not be released until the autumn of 2018. Which I can't say <laughs> I'm overly surprised. Which is approximately the same length of time that we've waited for Series 10. (laughs) Not quite. Not quite, because we'll have have the Christmas special to to break it up. But, but, um, 
Well, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe not exactly the same length of time, but it, it's going to feel like the same length of time. Let's put it that way. It's, uh... But, you know, Chris Chibnall is not finished editing on Broadchurch yet, um, and that's releasing at the end of this month in the UK. And uh, basically, uh, he's planning on taking a, a brief hiatus after that, and then starting his search for the casting of the next Doctor. And then, once that is completed, apparently, uh, shooting is planned to start at the very beginning of 2018. Yeah. And we're gonna be waiting again! (laughs) So there's that, you know. (sighs) (sighs) Uh, We, let's just... Okay, let's just stop <laughs> grumbling about series eleven that hasn't come out yet. And let's 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 look forward to series ten first. Okay, let, let let's do that. Let's do that. I, I need la di da. Happy thoughts. Happy thoughts. Happy thoughts. The doctor's coming back. <laughs> then he's leaving he's again. Again. Okay. Anyways. All right. Mm. Uh, all right. Well, let's. It should not take three years to get two seasons. I'm sorry. It, it just shouldn't. shouldn't. It shouldn't. <laughs> But it is. Especially especially when you're changing hands. Especially when one could technically overlap the other in production. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, but it is the BBC, so they're going to use all the same crew. Um, you know, so, you know, while, while the showrunner is going to change and the actor is going to change, they're going to use the same crew, so maybe that's why. That does make sense that you would want to have some type of continuity in the crew because it makes it... Uh, at least, uh, at least a little less jarring, you know. Right. So. Right. Okay. So that's the news. Let's let's you know bring us back to something that's going to make us a bit more happier. <laughs> um, that's going to be demons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this would have been a great Halloween episode. I know, right? <laughs> Alright, so we're going to return back to to Season 8 of the classic Doctor Who run uh, with the third Doctor, as played by John Pertwee. This is the fifth and final storyline in that season. Each of these stories has included the Master in some form or another. Um, And this is called The Daymonds. It was directed by uh, Christopher Berry and written by Guy Leopold. And was originally aired from the 22nd of May, 1971, to the 19th of June, 1971. And, Paul, uh, initial thoughts before we dig into this. I actually thought that it was kind of fun to have this type of genre kind of intermingled in with Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. um, Because there are aspects in this uh, that are kind of right along the same lines as uh, the original Omen movie, which, of course, had the second Doctor in it. Right, right. And so, yeah, but, I mean, it's also done in such a way so as to still not take itself too seriously at the same time. You know, it's not overly dark. Right. Um, so it's it's not... Um, I mean, and, and honestly, because of the symbolisms and things that are in this episode... It could have been taken in a quite controversial way, uh, especially in the time time period that it came out. Right. You know, uh, I, I thought it was fun, though. I thought that that um, that it was kind of well done um, in the sense of the way that it told the story. Uh, obviously, like we've said before, there's a few of these, especially in in the uh, uh, the third Doctor era. Uh, strangely enough, not as much in the first and second sometimes mm. um, that this could have probably benefited a little from a special edition, you know, right? Uh, just because of the the special effects. But other than, than the you know few spots where the special effects were not quite as up to par as you would like for them to be, I thought this was really well done. Yeah, this is a storyline that you're either going to have a lot of fun with. Or you're going to think it's very... What's the word I'm looking for? 
satanic. No, no, not that. <laughs> no, I completely lost where I was going. Um, so this, this is a story that um, I feel you're either going to have a lot of fun with or you're going to find elements of it formulaic. You're going to find elements of it that uh, could be a little bit on the corny side, but of course it's Doctor Who in the 70s, so you're going to have a little bit of cheese. Um, <laughs> but but if you're willing to look past some of the the formulas, some of the very uh, you know predictable types of, of, of character moments in these sort of things, it's really rather fun. I, I enjoy this story a lot. And if you think about it, this was kind of released right at the very beginning of that era uh, where it was kind of known for the satanic panic, mm -hmm. if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, where it's like everybody was looking for something to do with Satanism, you know? Right. Um, well, I, I think somebody might be sacrificing animals behind the apartment complex over there. Well, what gave you that idea, you know? Right. Well, I just think they might be doing it, you know? <laughs> no evidence, no nothing. Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's sort of fitting. And, of course, you know, the movies were full of this sort of stuff. You, I mean, you already alluded to The Omen, but, you know, right. we had Hammer Horror, you know, cranking yeah. out movies faster than they could write scripts for them and that showed because right. the scripts were terrible <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, I know that because I read Christopher Lee's autobiography and he was playing Dracula at this time period and absolutely hated the Dracula movies in the 70s that he was in <laughs> absolutely hated them but he was contracted for them so anyway uh, let's go ahead and dig into some of the uh, the details here Spoilers. Let me go ahead and really quick read the synopsis here, and then we'll start digging into the plot of the story. The master, posing as a rural victor, summons a cloven-hoofed demon into a church crypt. Because that's, you know, normal. <laughs> Seeking to gain the ancient titan's demonic power, he gathers a cult and then corrupts or controls the residents of Devil's End to bow to his will. Dark elemental forces begin to disturb the village on the eve of May Day. Unexplained murders, a stone gargoyle come to life, and a nigh-impenetrable infernal energy dome. With the master fully prepared to destroy the earth, the doctor and unit, aided by a beneficent practitioner of witchcraft, battle the wicked rites of a secret science wielded by an alien from another world. And only in Doctor Who could any of that actually make sense in one paragraph together. <laughs> <laughs> it starts out with a man and his dog getting murdered in the rain in front of the church. Because, you know, it looks like a heart attack, but the, the benevolent practitioner of witchcraft, a, a white witch uh, by the name of Miss Hawthorne. Yes. Miss Hawthorne? Yes. Miss Hawthorne, a practitioner <laughs> of witchcraft. Well, I'm a witch. White, of course. <laughs> Of course, you know. She reminds me of Miss Hathaway from the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Except with the British accent. Miss Jane Hathaway. Right. <laughs> yes. But uh, but but oh, she believes wow. that the man died of fright and, and because she's cast her runes <laughs> and evil is afoot. And the evil afoot has to do with an archaeological dig. That's excavating the infamous Devil's Hump, a Bronze Age burial ground. <laughs> the BBC is covering it. Professor Horner is the one who's digging it up and says that the Devil's Hump holds the treasure and tomb of a warrior chieftain. But, of course, since this is the Devil's Hump in Devil's End, he's going to open it at midnight on April 30th, which is the date of the occult festival Beltane. You know, for ratings. <laughs> because he's got a book coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's always a good idea to, you know, open a demonic crypt at the, on you know, at the eve of an occult ritual. <laughs> right. We, we cut to Unit, where Joe and Sergeant Benton and Mike Yates, Captain Yates, are uh, keeping abreast of the information by watching the television. And the Doctor, of course, is scoffing at the idea of witchcraft and magic and all this stuff. The Age of Aquarius and blah, 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 supernatural, schmoochernatural, you know. 
The doctor doesn't. He's move. really giving Joe a hard time about it. Oh, too. he's he's <laughs> just ribbing her mercilessly and yeah. you know, dismissing any idea that the supernatural could exist. But uh, he he messes with her by having Bessie run around and honk, and you know, Bessie, of course, being his car, seemingly of its own volition. She's like, "How did you do that?" Well, what would you use to explain it? I don't know, but I'm sure you had something to do with it. Well, exactly. See, it wasn't magic. It was this little remote control I had in my pocket. And, of course, that'll come back to help us later. (laughs) Miss Hawthorne, though, has made a a scene of herself on TV by coming to protest the dig, warning of great evil, and the coming of the horned beast. (laughs) Yes. She really is a fun (laughs) character, but she's designed to be a bit over the top. Just a bit. Just a bit. (laughs) And, uh, boy, does she do that. Of course, for some reason, the doctor goes, oh, she's right. The dig must be stopped. And so he and Joe take off in Bessie to try and stop the dig. Well, he suddenly realizes that there's something familiar about some of these names that he's hearing on television. Right. You know, <laughs> and then he takes her fear and puts it together with those names. And he suddenly goes, oh, you know, <laughs> like, oh, dear, we have to stop it now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Of course, as he's halfway there... <laughs> A huge wind whips up. It's a supernatural wind. Miss Hawthorne raises her arms and begins a spell or a command to, to silence the wind as the wind is influencing the local constable who's prob- who looks like he could be her nephew. And he's <laughs> gone into a trance and is about to bash her over the head with this huge rock when she's able to calm the infernal wind. Of course, the infernal wind manages to flip some street signs around down the road, and the doctor and Joe take the wrong turn. But in order to raise some help to stop the dig and to fight the infernal forces that are coming, Miss Hawthorne goes to see the new vicar, um, who's Mr. Magister. Who's the master. Yes. Magister is Latin for master, and uh, yes, the master is there as the vicar. Oh, dear. (laughs) He tries to hypnotize her into believing that everything is fine, there's nothing wrong, and she starts to agree and then goes, what are you saying? This is terrible. You know, if you won't help me, I'll find someone else who can. And, um, you know, (laughs) because she's a witch or something. I don't know. Oh, man. Um, Of course, the doctor and Joe are just completely lost, and uh, the doctor is blaming it on Joe for leading them down the wrong turn. Um, It's funny, because he tells her, if you would turn the map right side up, we might find the place a lot quicker. (laughs) She just sort of glares at him for a moment, and then they drive on. He actually took it out of her hand and flipped it over. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. He did. Um, The master, though, is in these these red ceremonial robes and is with a coven. He's wearing the other 30% of the outfit from the movie that he wasn't wearing on the last episode. (laughs) These red regal over robes. Right? Oh, my gosh. You see it now, don't you? <laughs> yes. The coven has 13 acolytes, and he begins a summoning ritual in the cavern beneath the church. Because, you know, that's where all this is supposed to happen, is underneath the church. Because <laughs> that's the thing. Right, right. You know, <laughs> the doctor and Joe end up having to run to the devil's hump on foot because a tree has fallen across the road and blocked the way. The master and his, his coven's chant reaches its climax at midnight when Professor Horner is going to open the devil's hump. He opens the devil's hump just as the doctor rushes in. But it's too late. The tomb opens, an icy gust of wind rush out. The ground begins to quake, cutting off all television reception and, you know, knocking over everybody miles away <laughs> under the church. The master, <laughs> of course, begins to laugh triumphantly, or you could say mon- maniacally, naming the being he is called Azal! Azal! <laughs> the master was definitely the quintessential uh, mustache-twirling villain in this story, I must say. Um, but yeah. he did it with a lot of... A lot of gusto. Uh, gusto. He did it with a lot of gusto, and he did it with complete and utter seriousness. Oh, yes. You know what I'm saying? He took it seriously, so it it didn't feel cheesy because he took it seriously. Right. 
you know. But he's got that that evil laugh down, and he gets to do it a lot in, in this story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and and one final thing happens: um, the the eyes of a gargoyle named Bach flare to life with a reddish glow. Joe enters the burial mound after everything has settled down to find Horner and the Doctor motionless and apparently dead, covered with frost. Horner is dead. The Doctor seems dead. Of course, as we know, he's not, because then he would regenerate, and then we would have the fourth Doctor, so, you know, that's not a thing. Right, exactly. (laughs) Back at unit, uh, Captain Yates and Sergeant Benson see the end of the broadcast as it goes out and try and find out what's going on while attempting to contact the Brigadier at the same time, who's, you know, gone for a night at the opera. (laughs) So they can't reach the Brigadier. They can't find out what's going on in Devil's End. (laughs) And uh, the Master is indicating an appointed place for the next visitation. And we're like, what is he talking about? Joe is able to finally get a call out to Yates to inform him on what's going on. The next morning, uh, Captain Yates and Sergeant Benton borrow... Um, or Purloin, the Brigadier's Commandeer. helicopter. Commandeer, Commandeer. The Brigadier's helicopter. <laughs> fly out to Devil's End, where they see some enormous hoof prints in the fields. Yeah. Because that's normal. <laughs> it's Clifford, the big red goat! <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> they <laughs> Sergeant Benton and Captain Yates get to Devil's End. Benton decides to take a look around while Yates is able to contact the brigadier, who's not happy that his helicopter's gone. They took my what? <laughs> I, I remember when he's calling in to, to HQ and yeah. he's like, where's the, where's the doctor? You can't reach him. What up? Miss Grant. No? I suppose it would be fruitless to ask for Captain Yates or Sergeant Benton. No, of course not. (laughs) They're all gone. And then, of course, they call from Devil's End with his helicopter. He's not happy. Um, Benton, though, (laughs) finds Olive Hawthorne locked in a cupboard in the church. (laughs) He gets her out, but the master's verger, Garvin comes in with a rifle and uh, is intending to stop Benton and Miss Hawthorne. Benton tries to disarm him. They fight. Benton falls on the marked stone that is the appointed place for the meeting and is hit by some sort of psychic energy and uh, begins to seize up. Garvin manages, of course, to get the upper hand there and with the tip of his gun prods the two of them out of the church and back outside. Oh, when the ground begins to shake, Garvin freaks out and starts shooting at something gigantic as Miss Hawthorne struggles to drag Benton out of the way. Uh, a huge fireball kind of, you know, incinerates Garvin. Oh, is that all? Yeah. <laughs> and then a huge heat wave just rips through the village, uh, knocking Joe and Yates down. And reviving the doctor, who was nearly frozen to death. Um, so... <laughs> Eureka! <laughs> he wakes up, you know, sits straight up in bed and says, Eureka! Miss Hawthorne and Benton make their way back to the pub, where you know, it's kind of the, the central headquarters here in Devil's End now. And Miss Hawthorne claims that she saw the devil, 30 feet high, with horns. <laughs> of course, the doctor's not entirely convinced. The doctor's not entirely convinced, but immediately becomes suspicious when she mentions the vicar's name, Mr. Magister. <laughs> Magister. It's the master. The brigadier and his car are unable to enter the village because there is a heat barrier surrounding the village. And anything that passes through this heat barrier instantly bursts into flame. It was really funny when he stuck his stick out to point in and ask him a question and it just exploded. <laughs> Oh, I almost expected to see him wet his pants. Uh, it's the brigadier. He wouldn't do that. I would. But then again, you're not brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart. 
Oh, no, it was really funny, though, to see the stunned expression on his face because right. it was it was so dumbfounded. It was like it, it literally looked just completely flabbergasted, you know? <laughs> well, I, uh, mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he did it again just to see if it did it twice, you know? <laughs> and it did. So <laughs> I would have um, hated to have run into that barrier. Mm. <laughs> It's a good thing yeah. the the guy with the delivery truck jumped out of his car before it went up in flames. Think about if they had done that on Modern Who. Some poor guy would have actually ran into that and been vaporized. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the doctor and Joe decide to go back to the devil's hump to see if they can find any clues as to what's going on. What? When you when you said the devil's hump, I got that Fergie song stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! My hump, my hump, my hump, my devil hump. Check it out. I'm sorry. <laughs> Focus. Never a dull moment. Nope. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> okay. Whew. Uh, the doctor has a good idea of what he's looking for, and they find it. It's a small, itty-bitty little spaceship uh, that they have to, like, brush dirt off because it's so small inside the Devil's Hump. It's the same shape as the, the Devil's Hump. Joe tries to lift it, but can't because it's super, super heavy. And the doctor says it's probably about 750 tons. Oh, is that all? Give or take. Give or take. <laughs> he's about to explain what he's what's going on when the gargoyle Bach suddenly leaps into the cavern there, about to attack them. Of course, the master has has sent Bach after them. I have to ask your opinion. Uh oh. What are your thoughts on Bach? I thought for the most part he worked pretty well, but those feet. <laughs> I the the thought that sprang to my mind many times when watching him flap around mm-hmm. on those feet was going back to what Susan said with the sensorites <laughs> when she was making fun of their feet and just flap 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 flap. The reason I'm asking is because for me, I think their intention was to have him be more. Uh, imposing like something along the lines of say like the weeping angels or whatever yeah but for me he came off more like the flying monkeys from the wizard of oz i can see that <laughs> i can see that you know for what some, I'm saying? yeah now for some people the flying monkeys are absolutely <laughs> horrifying so you know um, right yeah no I, I can i can see that now i think he worked well enough i don't think he worked quite the way they wanted him to oh don't get me wrong when i was three years old and saw the flying monkeys on the wizard of oz i wet myself but you know (laughs) i'm not three years old anymore (laughs) right but yeah no i i think he looked pretty good um yeah but his feet were just a bit too big and they flapped and smacked on the you know on the cobblestones a lot the person that was playing that role seemed like moved more ape-like to me than yeah. than human-like. And so I think that's probably why it reminds me more of, like I said, the flying monkeys, because of the way that the person in the costume was moving more so than the way that the gargoyle actually looked. Yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. No, I get it. Bach is about to attack, and um, the doctor is able to ward him off with some words in a strange language and an iron trowel. It wasn't a sonic trowel, was it? No. (laughs) But it should have been. (laughs) And Joe goes, what kind of magic was that? And he goes, it wasn't magic. It was a Nebusian lullaby. It was the gargoyle's own superstition that that drove it away. He said, no, it wasn't magic. I don't believe in magic, but he does. And it was his own superstition that caused him to react that way. Okay, sure, Doctor, but, um... (laughs) The Master, meanwhile, has uh, assembled via the Squire of Devil's End um, the villagers and has basically given them an ultimatum. Serve me, obey me, or die. Um, 
and uh, the squire ends up being vaporized by Bach when he initially refuses, and that, of course, brings all the other villagers into line. The doctor starts to explain that what we have here is actually an alien species who can make themselves gigantic or shrink themselves down to a microscopic level, hence why the spaceship was so tiny. They do resemble the idea of demons or the horned beast or the devil or, you know, all sorts of horned spirits from across the globe because they have been seen before. This species views the Earth as a bit of an experiment, apparently. And if they believe the experiment fails, they're going to destroy their experiment. And so this daemon will appear three times. And if he's not convinced that the experiment is success by his third visit, bye-bye, Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's got something in common with Marvin the Martian. Mm. <laughs> oh, goody. <laughs> what you doing, Doc? Oh, I'm just loading my Illudium P-30 explosive space modulator. <laughs> Why you doing that, Doc? I'm going to blow up the Earth. It obstructs my view of Venus. <laughs> I love Marvin. Nice. All right. Let's go back to Doctor Who. So the Doctor is basically says that these daemons have, have become a part of human myth because they've influenced Earth throughout history. And the Master is wanting to bring about the second visitation. And uses Bach to scare the villagers into helping him summon Azal. The brigadier discovers that this heat barrier is a complete dome around the village and nothing can get through. The doctor wants him to build a diathermic energy exchanger in order to get through it. The unit technician, Osgood, ding, probably no relation <laughs> to our Osgood, but really interesting nonetheless, <laughs> doesn't quite understand what the doctor is getting at. And so the doctor has to stop trying to communicate over the radio and go out and talk to the brigadier and Osgood in order to get unit through the heat barrier. One of the villagers, however, is hypnotized by the master, hijacks the unit helicopter, uh, the brigadier's helicopter, and proceeds <laughs> to chase the doctor and Joe in Bessie towards the edge of the dome. The helicopter is trying to force the doctor into the heat barrier. Of course, the doctor is able to swerve Bessie out of the way at the final moment, and the helicopter explodes against the heat shield instead. Of course, the brigadier, in his very unassuming way, mentions that that was 40,000 pounds of unit material. <laughs> Not to mention that it was his helicopter. Exactly. <laughs> Did you notice the sound that was going on every time that they would go back to the area where the dome was? Yes, it was. It had this really radioactive type of kind of sound in the air. It was like a hot know? wind sound almost, you know. Um, yeah. At first it was annoying, but then by the end of the story I was used to it, so... It sounded like some type of a high pitched whistle almost, you know. Like yeah. like wind going through a like wind going through a crack in a window or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, that's definitely what it sounded like. The doctor is of course now trying to explain what he wants done to Osgood when the master summons Azal again. The heat wave and earth tremor once again sweep through the village, and Azal is not happy about being summoned by the master. Of course, the master did this by himself, mm -hmm. which was his first mistake. The master tries to assert his authority by trying to dismiss Azal. He then demands that Azal give him the power that is his right. And Azal goes, I'm not your servant, and you're not the only one who is superior here. Of course, referring to the doctor. And he wants to speak to the doctor to see who is worthy to take the power of Azal. Did you feel like this character was played just a little bit too much over the top? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. I did, too. In my opinion, what would have made him much creepier is if he had been downplayed sort of the way that 
Cumberbatch played Smaug mm. in The Hobbit. Or you just get uh, an actor who's got a bigger personality, uh, like Brian Blessed, to come in and, and do us all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Brian Blessed was in uh, was in Doctor Who. He's just with the sixth Doctor. Yeah. He's a big personality. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> yeah, this is this is like one of the points in the story that I was like, eh, about. And I'm just glad Azal is not around that much. Azal then leaves, but not before warning that on his third appearance, he will decide if Earth deserves to continue existing. Remember Atlantis. Yeah. What? doctor finally manages to explain the process of creating the energy exchanger to Osgood and returns to the village. However, the master's agents are at work. Right. The pub owner tries to <laughs> snipe him with a rifle on his way back to the village. When that doesn't work, he leads a group of villagers, kind of mobs the doctor on his return, and tie him up to a maypole and announce that he's a witch and that he should be burned at the stake. Of course, uh, Sergeant Benton and Miss Hawthorne have been, you know, cooped up in the pub this whole time. Joe jo had been knocked out in the chase. Yates took her back to the pub. She escaped, went towards the church. Yates went after her, and Benton was ordered to stay in the pub the entire time. Right? <laughs> Benton is not enjoying staying in the pub the entire time. No. But <laughs> and he doesn't want tea either. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> tea, Sergeant. Tea. I can be thinking about tea at the time like this. We can't find anybody else. I can't get in touch with the brigadier, and you're here nappering on about tea. <laughs> Doctor will either come or he won't. That's all there is to it. <laughs> she tells him he needs to learn patience. Yes. <laughs> Um, one of the interesting things, though, is one of the uh, the May Day dancers, who is part of the group that mobbed the doctor, tries to get Sergeant Benton. I'm looking for a start a little fight there in the pub. The May Day guy is about to get the upper hand on Benton. Quincy Hawthorne knocks him over the head with her crystal ball and says, Oh, yes, I always carry it with me. In times like this, the outcomes are a certainty. <laughs> She's just a little over the top. And it's, a fa it's amazing. She's just a little bit over the top, and it's terrific. She does over the top right. Azal, not so much. Um, no. <laughs> but of course, now that the, that the doctor is about to be burned at the stake on the maypole, Miss <laughs> Hawthorne rushes out and tells the villagers, how dare you? How dare you attempt to murder the great Quequi Quad, the powerful wizard? What a name! I know! I was like, Quequi Quad? I'm sure that means something, but I have no idea what she's talking about. And she, she has him demonstrate his power, initially by uh, shattering uh, a lamp on a light pole. Right. So the doctor goes, Lamp? Shatter! And Benton shoots it with his uh, pistol with a silencer. He then has the weathercock on the top of the church tower spin around. Right. Because Benton shoots it. The pub owner, though, is not convinced as to what all's going on. And so the doctor has one more trick up his sleeve or a remote in his pocket, as the case may be. <laughs> and Bessie <laughs> begins to move on its own accord, much to the amazement <laughs> of Sergeant Benton. <laughs> Did, did you see Benton's face when Bessie started to move? He's there with, you know, yeah. with a gun aiming out the window trying to, to see if he can save the doctor. Um, and then Bessie starts to move and he just like, <laughs> you know, jaw drops open and the point of the, the barrel of the gun just drops. It, <laughs> he's just like, uh. And uh, Miss Hawthorne goes, oh, you really are a wizard. I'm afraid to disappoint you, my dear lady. Um, <laughs> science. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, Joe and Yates are taken prisoner because, of course, they've snuck into the, the church cellar um, and gotten themselves into a mess. 
Of course. Yes. She's the companion. Of course, the master <laughs> says, take her away. Dress her in the ritual garb. And uh, she's now going to become the sacrifice. Because, of, of course, course, she's the companion. <laughs> exactly. The energy exchanger, though, finally works. It's funny, though, because... Osgood is really tentative. He doesn't. He doesn't think it's going to work. He's keeps going. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And the doctor says you'll have to use the booster. And uh, Osgood goes, the whole thing's going to go up if we do. And the brigadier finally gets tired of Osgood's dithering and just hits the booster <laughs> himself, allowing a small arch to be formed uh, that's a little less hot than the rest of the heat barrier and the trucks are able to pass through. Well, to be fair, Osgood's already got black on his face from where the thing blew up in his face the first that time. That is true. So... <laughs> that is true. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the brigadier says, how much longer before you have it working? He says, oh, about half a minute. <laughs> about half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> soldiers all get through the heat barrier unfortunately the energy exchanger overloads on its way through and blows up for good this time mike is able to escape the church and warns the doctor about joe unfortunately bach was sent after him and is now guarding the entrance of the church and um he manages to, you know, completely zap the pub owner because he's like, oh, I'm going to go back and help the master. And Bach has been given orders not to let anybody pass. And um, that means anybody. And um, no more pub owner. Yeah. The unit troops start firing at Bach, um, who is uh, bulletproof. Of course, he's made out of stone. Right. <laughs> but he's also protected by supernatural forces because when they blow him up with a bazooka... Uh, the tape rewinds and he reforms back into Bach again. Yeah, I forgot about so. that. <laughs> and it literally rewinds. <laughs> yes, they, they literally rewound the tape to reform Bach. <laughs> but that's just movie magic or movie science, <laughs> as the doctor would probably say, especially in this story. <laughs> well, you know, the, the Tuscan Raider in uh, The New Hope, you know, back and forth That's and true. back and forth and back and forth. That's true. <laughs> There's our Star Wars reference. Yes. <laughs> the Master has gathered the coven together. The negative emotions are creating a psionic field that is powerful enough for the Master to attempt to summon Azal for the third and final time. He does so, and the doctor manages to slip into the, the catacombs beneath the church, and uh, yeah, he's a bit at a loss of what exactly to do, but he's going to try his best to talk Azal into letting humanity continue on. The master makes his case that the daemon should give him the power to rule Earth, and the doctor says no, man should be given a chance to grow up and become mature in their own right. Azal initially decides to give his power to the doctor. But the doctor doesn't want it. He doesn't want the power of Azal. We see that theme carried over a lot, too, because we see that here. We see that uh, in the in the episode uh, with Missy and the Cyberman. Mm. Um, yes. Where she's offering him uh, the, the, army. the army of the Cyberman, and he says, I don't want the power. You know, and you see this theme carried over over and over and over again between the master and the doctor where the master is offering the doctor power and the doctor says no right including the second doctor episode of the war games yes doctor didn't want the power where he offers him power and he doesn't want it exactly there you go say hey, once more evidence <laughs> <laughs> the war chief is the master mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anyway <laughs> Azal decides to give the power to the master and decides to uh, kill the doctor. And Azal begins to electrocute the doctor. Joe, though, uh, steps in front of the doctor and says to kill her instead. Yeah. 
The act of self-sacrifice doesn't make sense to us all, and the confusion sends him into agony and basically directs all of his power back at himself. But his his physical reaction to me seemed a little odd because he kept repeating over and over and over again, uh, it does not relate, it does not relate, it does not relate, you know, and it comes off as very robotic. It, it feels like, that you know, like a robot saying, this does not compute, this does not compute, this does not compute. Right. You know, and, and, and it doesn't, doesn't sound like something that a a person with a personality like an organic sentient being would say you know it sounds more like something like a cyberman might yeah. say yeah well the, the, you know these daemons are supposed to be like pure scientists in a sense you know uh, so i don't know mm -hmm. that's the only thing i can think of is that why that might be that way but yeah it is it is interesting just felt odd it, it was odd but it doesn't relate he begins to die, and as he dies, of course, it blows up the church, and everyone runs out ahead of it. The power, you know, begins to vanish as Bach reverts back to his stone form rather than he's, you know, running around shooting people with his hands. <laughs> like an auton? Right. <laughs> Except without the hand flipping open. Without the flip-down fingers. Exactly. <laughs> the, uh, the village begins to peek out of their doors and windows as the church blows up, and it appears the evil is over um, but of course the master tries to steal Bessie and make an escape and you know how that's going to end because the doctor still got the remote in his pocket right And uh, it would have been funny if he just started making him do donuts and stuff <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great round and round and round and round <laughs> the master is taken into custody to be put in a maximum security prison which is where we will see him next time we meet him. Miss Hawthorne notes that she's now able to hear the sounds of birds and smell the flowers once again, and uh, she takes Benton to dance around the maypole for the fertility dance. Yeah. <laughs> and the look on his face, it's like, really? It's really <laughs> funny. It's really funny because she goes, come, Sergeant, let us do the fertility dance. And she takes him off. Uh, Joe and the doctor sort of just smile at each other and go off to, to do the dance. And um, Captain Yates turns to the brigadier and says, Fancy a dance, brigadier. It's kind of you to ask, Captain Yates, but I'd much rather prefer a pint. <laughs> I love that. And the two of them head off to the pub to grab a pint. Oh. <laughs> but the May Day celebration begins as the Earth is reborn. As we zoom out uh, of, you know, everyone dancing around the maypole, the doctor remarks to Joe, you know, Joe, perhaps there is magic in the world after all, which seemed a bit of a, of a throwaway line, but it, it worked, I think. And uh, that's where the story ends. I think he was talking about the magic of the human spirit. I agree. You know, I agree. Yeah. But it was a little weird. <laughs> because he's like, not magic, science, the entire episode, the entire story. And then finally, right? there is some magic in the world after all. Well, I mean, how many times before have we seen the Doctor contradict himself at one key moment when he's been saying completely the opposite at every other point? That is true. You know, like in like in the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Series 9 episode where they're in the underwater station and he says, there's no such thing as ghosts. Are there? Uh, no. <laughs> you know? Are there? Mm, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's part of the, the, the funny, you know, funny charm of the doctor, you know? Right. Um, so, <laughs> uh, final thoughts on the daemons. What do you think? Well, it, there were some pieces in it that were a little cookie cutter. Um, and what I mean by that is this entire season feels like it's following a formula, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing because if you follow the formula too closely, then it just becomes a repeat of every story of the same story, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, but I thought it was different enough to keep me interested. You know, I thought that the characters, really kind of sold the story um, with maybe the exception of Azal Azal or Azale as she said at one point uh, you know because for me that character wasn't portrayed 
quite as understated as what he should have been. And what I mean by that is, in my personal opinion, I would have found him to be a bigger threat if he was more cold and menacing instead of loud and booming. Yeah, I I get that. Um, And so that was, I think that was probably the one thing in this entire story arc that took away from it the most for me was that portrayal of us all. But uh, I wasn't dissatisfied with it. It wasn't the greatest episode that I've ever seen, but it was, I still think it was good. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I would definitely go back and watch it again. Maybe not, you know, over and over and over and over, but I would definitely go back and watch it again because I found it enjoyable. And, you know, I feel like that stories like this kind of open the, 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 the show up to be able to do more things, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy this episode. I, I like this episode quite a bit. Um, I, I do agree Azal is, is not a high point, and yeah. it's more menacing when you don't know what he is or who he is or when you can't really see him on screen. Um, but that being said, uh, the other thing I would think could take a little bit away from this is the amount of time spent with the doctor on getting the energy exchanger up and running and built. I feel like there was, right. there was a bit too much time devoted to that. Um, and I, I know they wanted to show the idea that science would win over the, the, the magic or whatever, but um, right. it, I think it just it drug on a little bit in some places. I think that's why they had Osgood in there was to try to bring a little bit of humor to it so that it didn't feel like it was dragging. Right. Um, and that was somewhat successful. You yes. Know, because, like I said, when it blew up in his face, that was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I could see that. I, I could I could see that it, that it might feel like it would drag a little bit, you know. Yeah. That being said, though, I overall, I, I really like this, this episode. Um, the Master is maniacally evil in this. He's fantastic. Yes, he's great. <laughs> and Sergeant Benton really gets to, to shine a bit in this story, too. So I like that. I like Sergeant Benton. <laughs> All right. What you going to rate this? How many... Hmm, how many devil's humps? <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with the seven and a half. Okay. <laughs> um, Which in my book is still still pretty good yeah no I, i'm 75 <laughs> i'm gonna go with a seven and a half as well that's exactly what i was thinking um again th- there are some elements of this that people could think are cheesy or a bit repetitive or you know something like that but overall i think the characters really carry the story along more than anything else and um aside from azal they're all very you know memorable and work rather well i have a thought uh-oh something that that kind of struck me while we were while we were talking earlier um you know when you brought up uh the idea of uh, atlantis Mm -hmm. think about this think about if we could see uh say like in series 11 or something where we've got to revisit the daemons and see the destruction of Atlantis. Mm. And we find out that the reason why this is the last remaining daemon is because the doctor has already destroyed the rest of them. And that's the reason why he knows about this one. Hmm. That could get interesting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that would be told in a big finish or a novel rather than on screen. Well, that could be interesting. It might make for a good movie, but, you know, um, and, you know, there's also another aspect to that that you could bring into play if you wanted to. Um, you could also have that tie back into uh, the David Tennant episode with the Satan pit mm. and have that be like the first of the daemons. You see what I'm saying? Yes that, you know, kind of the rest of them were sort of like the offspring of that one. 
But what what if, what if <laughs> what if that cavern place, that ancient city, that giant ancient city, was actually the Daemon's ancient city? Dun dun dun. <laughs> All right. You see what I'm getting at, there, yes. right? Yes. Because see, the the doctor would never have to have ever seen the first of the daemon the master of all the daemon he would have never known what he looked like so when he met him later he wouldn't have known who or what he was and that that uh that possession that happens in that episode could have been him trying to uh put the daemons out into the universe again mm. i just think things like that could, could kind of be neat you know that could be that could be. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and, and start winding this down a bit. Uh, next episode, we're going to take a quick break from our, our master story reviews. Uh, we want to do our own little episode on um, some of the actors we would like to see play the Doctor for the 13th Doctor. Or 14th, if you're Paul. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, I'm special that way. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so uh, we'll probably post this on our social media as we're gearing up to record that. But, you know, we want to know who you would like to see play the Doctor coming up. Um, for that. You know, if we, if we could get enough responses from people on social media and stuff, we might could actually read some of those off on that episode. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should. I think it could be a very interesting question. We could have a lot of very interesting people be a part of this conversation. But yes, yeah, so we're, we're going to go ahead and... We're going to do that, and uh, we'll we'll try and see if we can get some of your thoughts in on that um, that episode as well. So, uh, stay tuned for that. All right. So we'll go ahead and, and try and get that all set up on our social media. Um, it's probably already out there by the time you're hearing this. Uh, so, go back <laughs> on our social media, check it out. Of course, that's uh, Facebook.com/slash Talking Time Lords. Uh, our Twitter handle is at TalkingTimeLord, or you can email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Links to all of our social media, as well as links to all of our previously released episodes, are available on our website, which is TalkingTimeLords.com. Please leave us a rating and review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you find our lovely little podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. We do have a couple of reviews that we need to read off on an upcoming episode, by the way. Yes, so. yes, we do. So we will get to that. We just... Don't have them in front of us at the moment, so um, we well, will, we were we actually waiting to see if we could get a few more to pile up, but you know. yes, that too. <laughs> uh, that being said, is there anything else, Paul, you want to address before we wrap up this episode? I really would like to see in a future episode at some point Missy arriving in Bessie. <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. Oh, have the return of Bessie. That would be great. That would be if, fantastic. If, if, if for no other reason, just to have that one callback, and then maybe she does something crazy and, 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 and wild, like blows Bessie up or something, you know. Oh, don't do that. You can't blow <laughs> Bessie up. Horrible, well, you know, horrible human she's, being. She's trying to get under the doctor's skin, so, you know. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. Uh, this has been episode number 63, The Daemons. For Paul, I'm Jason, and until next time, may you hope far-flung hopes and dream masterful dreams. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts, or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.
my hump, my hump, my hump, my devil hump. Check it out. <laughs> Jason has officially gone bananas. I'm tired. I'm loopy. I'm hungry. I'm bananas. <laughs>